This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome inside the Celtics Lab Podcast. I'm Justin Quinn here with Kim Tabatabaya, Celtics Hub and Off the Glass, and we're here to try and sort through all of the chaos surrounding the Celtics offseason. What is going to happen with Gordon Hayward? Who's likely staying and going? What are Boston's likely needs? Who could help with them? We've invited the Athletics' Jared Weiss to help us answer these questions as free agency is set to begin with Hayward as a free agent. Thanks for joining us, Jared. Hey, yo, what's up, fellas? Stress! Yes. Stress. Stress. stress and intrigue. Uh, no tranquilo right now, that's for sure. It's uh it this is the most fun day of the year where it's it, it honestly it's like the entire day is a spinning roulette wheel and you're just waiting for that ball to settle in somewhere. Well yeah, and in years past, whether it's Hayward or Durant, we've had Fourth of July's cut short hand wringing over this stuff. It's nice that we just get to do it in a random week in November. Well, I think it's perfect because 2020, our 4th of July plans were ruined anyway, right? So it's only fitting. It could have been Thanksgiving. Could be. Yeah, that's true. So what are are we dealing with here in this situation? Like, what is our overall cap situation going forward? Uh, Obviously, we are over the cap if Hayward stays. We are in a much better position if we do. But... What are we looking at basically as, as kind of a, a broader like cap space picture? Because I mean, not just the talent of Gordon Hayward, but you know, if he leaves, we also lose any ability to do, well, not any, but most, much of our ability to do things uh, to adjust the team in the future. So like, what are the concerns that we're dealing with here? I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's the big thing is the Celtics have been pretty good about whenever they lose a player, they manage to like get somebody else in their stead via sign and trade, or they had cap space availability or whatever it was the case each year. So yeah, you know, it's funny. I actually start, I'm starting to think that it's the norm in the NBA now that if you're losing a veteran player that you work out a sign and trade so that 
you can recoup something. It's kind of like how in baseball and football, they have compensatory picks for when your big star free agents leave. So the NBA has kind of like figured out that that's a, that's a nice little way to try to make things work. And obviously there's always somebody to play ball because there's always a team that doesn't have gap space that wants to get their hands on somebody. So the Celtics, I mean, I, I don't think there's – it's not a – it's obviously not a mutually exclusive situation to manage whether they want to keep him versus try to recoup some asset value out of him before he's gone. So it's not like it like changes where they are. But obviously, if it gets to a point where he says, I'm going to Indiana, make it happen, at a certain point, it actually might be better to just be like, you know what, Gordon? We don't have any offer for you. It's wow, how lucky are you that you got Indiana to give you such a great deal? We're gonna figure out a way to somehow get you there. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, well, I don't think there's a player in the NBA that could be attained in this situation better for their op- ability to win the championship next season than Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward is the absolute player that they want. But it's not just next season that the NBA does not stop existing after next year. And while I, I do think they legitimately could win the championship next year. And it is all about banner 18 and all that stuff. I, I don't think trading him for miles Turner compromises their ability to win next season that significantly. And it dramatically increases their ability to have a sustainable period of winning. So it's not a bad move if they're doing something along those lines. You mentioned, you know, signing with Indiana would require a sign-in trade. Uh, there are some teams out there, the Knicks, uh, possibly the Hawks. I'm kind of having a hard time keeping track of them with everything else that's going on. But at least at last time I checked, they were able to sign him. That may yep. be changing. Um, well, they can, so. Depending on their future. And then there's also the possibility of him, him re-signing. Um, what, are, what do you think uh, – he might be looking for if he does come back and what do you think Boston might be willing to pay like the most realistically? You know, that's that, that second question is the hardest question because I mean, you know that he's looking for at least 20 million a year for at least three years because he walked away from $34 million this year. And the, the, the more conservative situation that I like to use is let's say he took. He stayed on that one year, and then he didn't have a good season, and then next. And so he's, you know, he was like this season goes okay, and so he's not really competitive for thirty million dollars a year anymore. But he is certainly still worth what you know what uh, what the Athletics John Hollinger has him valued at at seventeen million. John Hollinger has this like complicated system for determining player value. Um, market value and it came out as 17 million. So 17 million right this year this year that number is impossible to get from a cap space team or to get out of the free agency market without a sign and trade because the teams that have cap space maybe are looking into Gordon Hayward. It seems like the Knicks are a possibility. It seems like Atlanta's a possibility. It seems like Charlotte's a possibility. Um, that's what I'm being told by uh, my sources with Gordon Hayward, and that's what all, all the other big reporters are reporting. Um, I, I'm a little dubious about that because the big thing that one of my closest sources with Gordon Hayward told me was that Gordon wants to win, that Gordon wants to play an important role on a winning team, and he can't get that if he goes to any of the teams in the NBA with cap space. The four teams in the NBA with significant cap space all suck. Atlanta is the only one 
that is showing promise of turning into a playoff team, but they're very they're not cracking the top six, I guess, of the Eastern Conference right now. And let's see what Philadelphia is on the outside looking in on that. And we know Philly, even with with their either with their current team or if they trade for James Harden, can turn into a contender in the blink of an eye. So, Gordon Hayward, he has to do a sign and trade or stay with the Celtics if he wants to contend. And so, going back to the point I was going to make before, let's say like this year doesn't go so great. Next year he hits free agency, and all the teams with cap space, they all get max players. All that cap space dries up and Gordon has to sign a a mid-level exception deal. So it's like about $10 million. If you give, let's say he signs a two year, $20 million deal at that point, that would be three years, $54 million. If he had, if he had opted in this year over the next three years. So you're thinking he, he clearly thinks that he's going to get about, three years, 65, 70 at the very least somewhere, maybe even a fourth year. Remember Al Horford, he left Boston because he somehow managed to get a fourth year out of Philadelphia, which Boston very, very smartly did not want to give him. And that was a pretty brilliant decision. <laughs> I'd say. So, so the point is, is that I think Gordon wants at least 20 million a year, probably closer to 25 million a year. I think that 20 million is probably a realistic target for him to get as the high end of his market. So the Celtics probably would have to pay that out for three years. I think it's a good deal because we know he's like, we know it's, it's only a little bit above what Hollinger has as his market value. We've seen how Gordon fits in this team. The, The only, honestly, the hard part with Gordon is, is he willing to continue to accept this role? And I don't that that I generally I genuinely am not certain on. Um, I know that he wants to be somewhere where he can be a little bit more of the focal point. And with him, it's not it's not about being famous and all that kind of stuff. It's not about getting. It's not about like trying to get like super paid because like the dude's already gotten super paid. He already has a hundred million in the bank now. Um, it, it's about that he wants to fulfill his potential and leave his like impact on basketball. Like the guy cares, like his whole life is dedicated to being a great basketball player. And he's in this situation in Boston where he can't really play to his full potential because he doesn't have the ball in his hands a lot of the time. Um, And he like, I mean, he's, I've talked about this on a bunch of shows lately. I've written about this a bunch of times. Like he's complained to me, people around him complain to me that it's, it's not a complaints, like kind of a little too strong, but like he, he has said to me multiple times, that it's really hard for me to find a rhythm when I'm not able to get consistent shots up in a game where I'm only able to get eight or nine shots a game. He once even broke down for me how, like how many actual shots and rhythm he was able to take, how many like layups he was able to take off the move to try to kind of really find his game. And it was like three or four a game essentially, because so many of the shots he was taking were spot up shots and stuff like that. So Gordon does, Gordon feels like he is compromising his full capability and his ability to like truly like, you know, just like, like as a doctor, like, don't you want to like try to become the best surgeon possible and, and, you know, and make the greatest breakthroughs possible. It's like, you know, being part of a great team is great, especially for learning, but at a certain point you want to be able to see how far you can push your capability. And I think that's kind of this, 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 uh, this really tough decision in this crossroads that he's at in his career where at his age, he's his level of health that he's at now, 
Like this year is probably going to be his best shot at truly being the best player that he could possibly be the player that he's worked his entire life towards. And it's like, it's staying in Boston. It's probably going to be a bit of a compromise on that, but he has a very good chance of winning a championship if he does that. And for some guys reaching your potential and being like, I became the best basketball player that I could have been is the mission for them. For some guys, it's just taking home a ring and saying, I want a championship. That's the mission for them. And I think Hayward, those are the top two things for him. And I don't know which one weighs out the most in the end. And I don't think there's, I have no problem with either one of those being the top priority. Absolutely. So, so yeah, that's my short summary of the situation. And Jared, what's interesting about that is I kind of see, so we're recording this just before noon on Friday and Stein has just reported that um, this Indiana sign and trade is maybe approaching uh, the goal line, but Indiana doesn't necessarily allow for him to be the man in the way that you're describing. I mean, not only with the Oladipo situation being kind of tenuous, could the Pacers kind of implode a little bit, but it's still a kind of crowded offense. Um, so I have been kind of reading these, this buzz about Atlanta and New York as kind of a smokescreen from the Hayward camp as trying to drum up leverage uh, mm-hmm. with him and the Celtics. But if in his heart of hearts, you know, he does want to be more of a focal point, one of these cap space teams, Charlotte or New York, for example, uh, he does have more of an opportunity to shine, even if to your point, it's not a winning situation. So I have kind of dismissed the cap space teams being major players as Hayward and his people uh, drumming up leverage. But I think perhaps there's more of a chance that um, those are really in play than, than maybe I know. I don't know what you've heard. They, they definitely are more in play than I thought they would be because when I forget the timing, because just the last 24 hours have taken about three years, but um, I, I, you know, I, I thought it was leverage. And like, I was hearing the, I, I thought that was like really strong posturing to try to, to try to get them to be like, all right, we're going to offer you a good deal before you opt out. And then when he opted out, it's like this guy either is the ultimate bluffer or a much more realistic proposition is that there is a legitimate market out there. So yeah, I do believe that some of these teams are in. Um, you know, it's, I think what's really, what makes it more viable for a lot of these huge cap space teams is that the Celtics are in a position where they're going to want to take in salary if they lose Hayward so that they can continue to have some sort of asset or a good player or whatever it may be. So a lot of these teams with huge cap space are thinking we can bring in Hayward and not really lose that much cap space. So we can still target someone like Russell Westbrook which would be really stupid of you, but there's a reason why there's a reason why those teams are in the position that they are. So, yeah. So that's, I I think that just, just there's so many teams that think Hayward is more available than most other players out there because they know the Celtics have to recoup something for them. So since we can't read his mind and only time is going to tell, we are looking at, well, we could. Yeah, we could. We could accept <laughs> him. The, the the end result of him leaving, uh, that's going to make us still over the cap, but a non-taxpaying team, a non-luxury taxpaying team. So we should you have... You mean f- if he walks straight up? Yeah, if he walks and, and we get nothing back. Um, 
I'm not going to get into, well, what if it's this player? And what if it's that player? Because that's just a, a pointless exercise. But, but what if it is? But what if it is? <laughs> the, but the MLE, so this year the MLE is going to be $9.2 million. Uh, that should be available to us, right? Well, it unless is. they uh, bring back, I think Miles Turner would make them a tax-paying team, in which case they'd use the um, taxpayer mid-level, which is closer to $6 million. Like you don't, yeah, actually, because they would have to take more than Miles Turner. So yeah, if they, I think that I think there is a way if they could unload Cantor as well. And I, I, I was expecting. I've been told that Cantor was probably going to end up in the Memphis thirtieth pick deal, yeah, and that Memphis job. would be able to take him in. But I actually, it hasn't been, it hasn't come to fruition yet. It's possible it comes to fruition in the next few hours, so maybe that'll change. But. That, that actually might not be happening, but I, I'm assuming they're going to be able to move off of Hayward, uh, Cantor's money if they need to. And so if they move off of Cantor's money, because your uh, sign-in trades, I believe you can be within 25% of matching, so you don't have to do like a one-for-one salary matching, mm-hmm. I believe doing the sign-in trade would probably get them below the tax line uh, if they work it right. But I think the problem, the problem though is that um, once you, you spend that MLE, you just go back over the tax line. So I'm pretty sure that if, you, if you're if you trying to spend the MLE and it brings you over the tax line, that you're stuck with the tax MLE regardless. So okay. I don't, so I, don't I, I just, I don't think any of, unless they were able to then flip, you know, I mean, there's always a possibility of some sort of third team absorbing a lot of that extra salary to get them there. And, and the Celtics back when they had so many draft picks, you couldn't even count them. Um, you know, actually, you know, they, they did get a few seconds for that 30th pick. So it's very possible that they could actually somehow manage to spin off all this extra salary and get themselves far enough below the tax line that they could actually use the full MLE, which would be huge. That would be huge because, you know, forget about that hypothetical I was talking about before with Hayward about, you know, he strikes out on cap space next year and he's a good player that has to take a much lower deal to MLE that's happening this year because there's like barely any tax space yeah you can get some good players cap space. yeah so let's talk about Cantor just a little bit uh, before we get into some of the some of the I don't want to say lesser but um, less big money uh, contracts that, that the team is, is dealing with um, Cantor Cantor you said might be going to Memphis um, for the pick that they traded that we took Desmond Bain presumably for for moving him there um, if that doesn't end up happening do we end up having to roster Desmond Bain somehow and make a decision about somebody uh, no because that, that deal's already done it's just a matter of whether Cantor's also going to be in the deal so, okay. so, that, so that wouldn't change anything it would just change in form some other way in terms of what it comes back, maybe a better second rounder or something like that. I know they have lots of really weirdly protect, protected second rounders in Memphis. Um, Parier um, to Oklahoma City, presumably for cap space, uh, based on what's coming back, which I think they paid his salary, so that's my, my understanding of that. Um, now, we have Semi Ohale. Um, he, he looks like he is going to be gone. Um, I've been hearing some rumbles that he might be able to stay. Is that that's kind of like a play if if Gordon Hayward doesn't come back? Yeah, there's so his they they exercise his team option, but his deal's non guaranteed. So the team option exercise, all it does is it just keeps him on the roster for another like three or four days, so that they can have his salary 
uh, in play potentially in some sort of deal, and then they can waive him. But they also have the option of keeping him if they want to. I mean, the guy's making like barely over the minimum. We know he at least can play, uh, but based on how little he's been utilized so far, you assume that he's not long for this team. Um, but he, he is still a unique player for them in that, you know, like he's like a big, versatile defender. So who can who can shoot a little bit? So, you know, he is a 3 and D player, and they don't have anyone else like him on the roster right now besides Grant Williams, who isn't quite as smooth of a perimeter defender as Shemi is. So they could keep him for sure. Um, but players like Shemi are pretty widely available these days. You know, three, I know 3 and D players are like all the rage, and people think it's like such a huge deal to get them. But they're also the most plentiful type of player. You know, most players can't really dribble that well. Most players can defend decently. So – uh, Ojale is a very replaceable type of player, but he's someone who they really like and who's a very good fit. And he's never going to complain about his position in the rotation. So, you know, I could, I could see him staying. And then Wanamaker. Wanamaker is kind of in a similar situation. They have not picked up his option just so he can kind of test the market uh, as, you know, a good, good move for, by the team to respect him. But he might end up returning? Probably not. Um, they have so many point guards already. A huge question would be whether Carson Edwards is still around. And Carson Edwards is such an afterthought last year, but the dudes are, the dude's still under contract, so it's very possible that he sticks around. Um, but I, I think that with Wanamaker, the assessment is basically you know they didn't extend the qualifying offer to him, like you said, so that he could have a more uh, robust free agent market so to do right by him. As, you know, that's mostly about just doing the, the right thing. Um, because if he was a restricted free agent, most teams would be like, I don't want to offer you $3 million as opposed to $1 million because the Celtics can match up very easily. So by let, allowing him to become unrestricted, teams can be like, all right, here's $3 million, take it or leave it. And so that, that helps them a lot more. Um, but so right now, I just don't think they have a need for him. If Hayward's gone, if a lot of these other guys are gone, they need some veteran ball handling presence. They know that they know exactly what they can get out of him, so they could potentially bring him back. But it, it really, I mean, as bad as Carson Edwards was last season, like we know Carson Edwards' potential, and it, it just seems like it would be really silly to not ever give Edwards a chance to develop into some, you know, a more substantial player, just because you want to maintain Brad Wanamaker's steady play, even though it's very unremarkable steady play. So. Is there anyone else that we haven't mentioned that might be on the move or that we should be expecting? Uh, well, there's Taco and Tremont Waters. Um, I mean, Taco, I don't, I haven't gotten a sense of any teams that are going to offer him a roster spot right now um, or a guarantee, like a full guaranteed deal right now, but it certainly is possible. He, I mean, he clearly demonstrated last year that he's got a future in the NBA. There's no question about that. Um, the question is just like, do teams have the room to bring him in right now, or is it going to be another two-way deal? So if it was going to be another two-way deal, it would definitely make the most sense for him to stay where he is. And what's good is that the two-way deals are really, they're so much better this year. The NBA changed the rules so that it's no longer, you don't, you no longer get paid per day that you show up at the NBA level. You just get paid a flat half a million dollars or like a little bit less than that. It's like, it's basically half of what the minimum is for a rookie. So it's actually like a pretty solid deal and it doesn't really limit 
your availability. You're only allowed to play 50 games, I think. So I'm assuming Taco is not going to play 50 games next year. So I, I think that it, it'll work out pretty well for him. So the two-way seems definitely a lot more appetizing. I, I tried talking to his camp to try to get a little bit more insight. And they were like, yeah, the two-way deals are a little bit more appetizing. And then I said, okay, so does that mean you're no longer dead set on getting a roster spot and you'd be interested in taking a two-way? And they didn't respond to that. So I don't really have a read there. Uh, and then as far as Tremont's concerned, the expectation has been that he would get promoted to full-time um, just because he was so damn good in the G League last year. So I assume that's still going to happen and that they would move on from Wanamaker because of that. But you never know, obviously. So what do you think Boston's needs are going forward? We probably addressed, hopefully addressed shooting in the draft. I know a lot of people aren't super crazy about Peyton Pritchard. Uh, he is definitely not anything that like screams like sexy uh, basketball player, but he's really, really solid. And I think that he has a really good shot. Um, and obviously James needs James Aaron Neesmith. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. I'm a little I've distracted. done that one a few times too. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a little distracted by the, um, Wonderful garbage people. And, and I, for those who are listening and unfamiliar, um, I live in Mexico City, and this is how you know this wonderful sound. Uh, wow. Like garbage. It sounds like I don't know. <laughs> it's I'm a sure pandemic. We need to go in interact, I guess. It's uh, the, the wise thing to do. Anyway. Um, so, yes, Neesmith hopefully addresses the shooting along with Pritchard. Um, what else are we looking at for needs? Um, I've heard that we, we we probably want a bigger, burlier big. I kind of feel like we might want to find somebody. Maybe we could talk about who with a kind of a reunion tinge later on. Um, but does that sound like something we need? Do you, can you think of other things that maybe the Celtics will be looking for? I mean, anyone that's all of any continent would be ideal, sure. Um, yes. I, do, I do think that, and I, I should have mentioned this before with Wanamaker, Pritchard, like Pritchard's like a better version of Brad Wanamaker is what they're hoping. So, and I think based on what Brad and Danny said on draft night, they kind of made it sound like they're expecting Pritchard to come in and probably play what Wanamaker's role was supposed to be. I mean, don't forget Wanamaker when they originally brought him in, they, it, like people forget Wanamaker was on the minimum. Like he was not, uh, he was like, he, he was basically the seventh man on the roster last year, but the dude was supposed to be the back end of the roster player. And so he had, he had to really step up. I thought he did a solid job for, uh, for sure. Even if he's like a relatively unremarkable player, he certainly is a very steady player. Pritchard is kind of the same thing. He's not, he's not going to be like super flashy. He's not going to be making incredible passes, running amazing picking rolls, hitting like tons of crazy shots. The dude's going to be a really steady, excuse me, steady, big size, you know, good size point guard. He's just solid, well-built, Six foot two, which I guess used to be a big point guard, but I guess it's probably an average point guard these days with all the guys that handle the ball. You know, when you're getting drafted behind Lamelo Ball, who's like six foot eight running point, you, know, <laughs> you don't you don't seem that big anymore. It's six two and well built, but that's Brad Wanmaker. I think was like six four and well built. He was a pretty big point guard. But so Richard, I think, is going to be that guy that gives them the steady hands that can run the basic options, can spread the floor, can attack, and you know he can drive and kick all that kind of stuff. And he's incredibly confident and obviously has a great winning uh, resume as well. And like, they know that he loves, he really thrives under significant pressure. So I think that that's that like, that solves what could have been a need, 
right there. Mm-hmm. You know, there I think there was there was a need for a backup point guard that could actually do something with the ball. And I think between Pritchard potentially giving them more capability than Wanamaker gave them, Tremont Waters advancing another year, who's a very, very crafty, exciting, flashy point guard. Um, and then just um, who am I forgetting right now off the top of my head? Potentially Carson Edwards. Uh, I, I think that they have they, – I think they have enough of what they need to potentially get by and emphasize some of the other need areas as opposed to really focusing on getting like a DJ Augustine or Jeff Teague or something like that. They might as well get a player like that who they can at least count on to be a scorer, but I don't think they have to have that kind of player at this point. So when you go from there for needs, if Cantor's gone, then yeah, they do need somebody that can bang down low for sure, whether it's to rebound, whether it's to be a post score of some sort, you know, like Cantor, Cantor, because they brought him in on the tax MLE. So that it was like, he was the signing there. He was their main signing of the off season. He was looked at like he was going to have to play a huge role for the team. And that type of player, as we learned, can't play a huge role for a team but that type of player definitely is valuable in certain situations and it's good to have them around so they definitely need one of those kind of guys um and i think they need off the bench another another uh three level score type i mean you're not going to find many of those kind of guys but although if they have their mle to work with or even the tax mle they could get a guy like that i think you know somebody like like danilo gallinari if he strikes out on free agency which he probably won't. I think he's someone that they probably should target. Um, just somebody that takes if, – if Hayward's gone, there's going to be so much pressure on Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum to be, like, super proficient scorers and playmakers. And while they're capable of handling it, it's still a lot of pressure on them, and they're still pretty early in their careers. And just having one more guy, especially a veteran like Gallinari, who's been doing it for a decade now that you can really count on, I think would be really, really huge for them. So there's a couple of different ways that they can add these kinds of players. So there's the, the, the kind of guy that you were talking about, Gallo, we wouldn't be able to add him without a sign and trade. Though there might be, maybe, I don't know what your opinion on this is, but there might be some, some options out there available, um, even without Hayward, that could theoretically be available via sign, sign and trade. But that's, that's not a very likely um, option what about um, some options for the MLE? What are we looking at in terms of either MLE, in your opinion? What, what would some realistic and probable even targets be for that that range of salary? Oh, I wish I had my list in front of me. I, I did. I did a few stories on this. Um, trying to remember off the top of my head, but I think that huh, so the Chicago situation is really interesting. So they are letting. Chris Dunn and Shaq Garrison go. And I'm really high on Shaq Garrison. He's like a six foot seven point guard who can, you know, he, he can, he, he's, I mean, he's a point guard, but he's not like, he's not like necessarily a point guard as much as he's kind of like a, a big ball handler. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also can shoot the ball pretty, pretty decently. And he's a very good defender. Like he's a really super active point of attack defender, a smart health defender crashes the glass like he's a real high energy guy i think he would be ideal for this team and it could be realistically had for the tax assembly i do think that he could be in play there even though i think he's definitely worth more than that but this is a very this is a very deflated 
um, marketplace. So I, I think that's probably, that's the first thing that comes to mind for me, for sure. Um, D'Anthony Melton would, would have been somebody, but I just don't think there's any way that Memphis lets him go and he's restricted. So I, I just don't think they're going to be able to bid up for him. Maybe if they wanted to throw the full MLE at him, maybe, you know, maybe Memphis isn't willing to pay $9 million to somebody who's probably going to be a good bench player, maybe a starter, but that's another guy that I've always been really high on. But I, I think that, you know, cause I mean, he's Melton presents something kind of similar to Neesmith and I think that Neesmith is good enough and ready enough for the league that they can count on him to be part of the rotation right away. But I'm a little skeptical that he's going to be a good defender right away, that he's going to be a dynamic offensive player right away. I think that stuff's going to take a little time. So I think that they still, they still should pursue some three and D help for sure right now. Okay. I've also, you mentioned Chris Dunn too. Um, He's kind of in that other, is he a point guard? Cause I mean, he doesn't shoot and he just, no, yeah, he he is. Um, remember when Marcus Smart was terrible at everything on offense? Mm-hmm. That's Chris Dunn. So <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> so try to keep it simple. That's that's who he is. So he's an amazing defender. It's, I mean, as long as Smart is there, they just don't need him. They get okay. just there's no point of having a, a one way super defender on the team when you already have the best defender at that position in the league. You just, I don't think you really need that. Well, for three and D guys, Hood, Bazemore, Clarkson, Burks, old friend Avery Bradley come to mind. Um, any of those maybe? Yeah. yeah but, you know, Avery obviously fits. Uh, Bazemore is someone I had on the list. That's a good one. Um, Burks, I, I don't think they need that. You know, Burks. Like, while it would be nice to have a creative score coming off the bench, well, you know what? Maybe – I don't know. It's like when I watched Burks in the playoffs last year, the dude is just chucking, and then he was just terrible <laughs> otherwise. And while – you know, if they're going to get a player that is going to be a chucker for them, I would rather target one of these guards. Like, you know, Jordan McLaughlin out of Minnesota is one I really like. Um and I'm assuming they're going to keep him based on who they drafted. But he's someone that really tore it up in the G League, got called up last year to Minnesota, and it was great. And he was scoring like something like 14 points a night for the last month and a half of the season. He's a super high energy, really athletic, you know, undersized guard, but can really pull up. Kind of reminds me of Shane Larkin to a certain degree, although he's bigger than Shane Larkin. I don't know if he has a 50-inch vertical that Shane Larkin does, but <laughs> he uh, – He's he's really good. Also, Shane Larkin, if they can get him, if they can get him, that'd be great. But he uh, he's not coming over unless he's like a six man, basically. I don't know if he'd be able to get that role here. But um, yeah, I, I think that I would rather get one of those kind of guys where instead of it being a wing that you have to kind of like feed the ball and he's going to take a shot. If you're going to get a big time score off the bench, make it make it a point guard that you could put out there next to some of your wings, some of your three and D guys and have him just breathe energy into the ball and really lead the offense that way. And then all of your wings are good defenders. You can really complement that and you have more balance that way. So let's, let's close this out with something that we hinted at earlier. Um, basically we, we've been kind of dancing around this, this notion of a few different potential Celtics reunions I don't think any of them are going to happen just because of the nature of the businesses that any particular target is hard to get. 
even if everybody wants to, to you know, theoretically connect. Um, Aaron Baines as a big, uh, Rajon Rondo, um, Isaiah Thomas, and of course we already mentioned Avery Bradley. Is there a realistic path to any of these guys joining the Celtics again? Baines would be, I mean, getting Aaron Baines would be amazing for this team. Like, wow, that would be so huge for them. Because uh, he's, uh, for one, he's the best player in the NBA. We all know that. Two, <laughs> he he fills that need of having somebody that's, you know, a true power impactor underneath the rim um, that can do a lot of the stuff that Cantor does on uh, on the glass and stuff like that, while obviously being a very good defender and apparently a floor spreader, which is so remarkable to say about Aaron Baines. But so, yeah, it doesn't look good, um, but it's effective. <laughs> hey, whatever works, works, right? Um, but so... I don't think he's in play for them unless they get the full MLE. It seems like his market is stronger than the tax MLE. I mean, we know there's been a lot of reporting that he's definitely leaving Phoenix. So I guess it sounds like that there's some teams out there that want him to be their starting center, or there's some teams out there that are willing to offer him eight, nine, $10 million a year. So I don't think the Celtics are going to be in play for him, but it's, it's certainly possible. Yeah, I think there's a, a few older or veteran players that could, if they are chasing a ring, find their way to Boston. But there's better contenders if I was someone who wanted to chase a ring. Either more sure bets. And then, Jared, to your point, there's also teams that can offer more money. So the Celtics kind of straddle this world of not quite having the most lucrative contract, nor do they have uh, the best like surefire place to contend for a title. Or biggest That's role. interesting. Wait, well, I want to. I want to just follow up on that. Who do you think are the teams that are that have that have the resources to actually be players in the free agency market that you think have a better selling pitch than what the Celtics have? Well, so that's. I think there's. Uh, if you wanted to just maximize your salary, the Celtics can't compete just because there are teams with real cap space, um, and if you want to take the vet minimum or something close to it to contend there are other teams so it's not like the celtics are so are are a negative landing spot but i think for some players like paul Millsap, for example he might take decidedly less money if he wants to chase a ring he might end up doing that in a place that isn't boston or he might find a payday that is bigger than what boston wants to offer right uh, okay, so I thought you were saying that there are teams that Millsap would like rather go to than Boston. But I would say I think Boston's one of the most competitive teams when it comes to making the pitch to somebody like Millsap. Hey, come take, come get the biannual exception, take three million dollars this year, and play twenty five minutes a night for us. I think that's a really strong sell coming from Boston. Yeah, I mean, compared to say like the LA teams, I think a player like a Paul Millsap gets a chance to handle the ball more, especially if Gordon Hayward's on his way out. So to that end. I mean, Paul Millsap's at the top of my list. I just used him as a placeholder, but yeah, I secretly too. really want Celtics to sign Paul Millsap. Um, and while we're talking about reunions, I think we would be remiss if we talked about the reunion that wasn't because Frank Kaminsky is available. Oh, we, know no. how much, we know how much Danny Ainge seems to love Frank Kaminsky. So I think probably the worst possible outcome for the Celtics is that they lose. Gordon Hayward just walks and then they overpay Frank Kaminsky. I think that that would be hell on earth for Celtics fans. I mean, as long as they have one white guy, that's all that matters, right? I suppose. I think there's, yeah, I think that's in the CBA. Yep. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, 
Are you guys plugging anything before uh, we get out of here? What, what should we be looking for from you guys? Jared? Oh, uh, yeah. I, uh, I write about basketball for The Athletic, so go check out The Athletic. Yeah, That's Jared's cool. really this up-and-coming kid. Uh, throw him a bone. He'd really... You might have heard of him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm over at Celtics Hub uh, just trying to, you know, add my, my flair to what is an oversaturated Celtics content market. <laughs> and you can hear the wonderful background music I write for uh, Celtics Wire every day. It's great living in a city. <laughs> anyway. Hey, shout out to Celtics Wire. That's yeah. right. I can't believe we, we didn't mention we got the, the we got the founder and the now the editor of Celtics Wire on the same pod right now. That's pretty exciting. Celtics Wire runs deep. Indeed. <laughs> well, you can find the pod on most podcatcher apps. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, please five stars. You know the deal. If you don't like something, hashtag CLPOD as usual or in any comment of any article that we post the pod. Always trying to bring you the deepest dives into Celtics coverage and hopefully the background noise of us trying to get this to you in a very, very busy period didn't drive you crazy. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.